Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. We're going to have a great show for today. Boy, I've been getting so many emails in here this week. i got a lot of things to get to in the Ag PhD mailbag, and we're going to start that here in just a minute. If you've got a question for us or anything you want to talk about that's happening on your farm, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. Our phone lines will be open all throughout the show. Again, that's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. All right, so I got my brother Darren on now, too. And uh, Darren, we got a lot of questions and comments from the Ag PhD mailbag, so we're going to get to that right now. All right, first one comes from Tracy, and this is just a comment we were talking about uh, in our Farm Basics on Ag PhD TV, GPS and agriculture. Tracy says, it's not right for farmers to be charged thousands of dollars just to get a code to unlock their GPS systems just so they can operate their tractors. There's so many outrageous fees for farm tractors, it's no wonder no one wants to be a farmer anymore. There need to be laws to stop the corruption in the farm equipment industry. Um Tracy, I, I I guess I'll I'll for the most part leave your comment at that, but I would just say I just I I am sitting in front of a computer right now. Without paying the money to the uh, software company, I can't get into my computer. So I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff out there where we have to pay fees just to use some of this uh, this new technology now. All right, Mark says. Hey, Brian. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I got a few that we didn't get to through the workshop. Do you want, would you like me oh. to throw those at you? Uh, sure. Yep. As long as we got you on the phone, go ahead. Okay. So the last couple yeah, of days we've up. had soils clinics and uh, a naturals workshop. And I think we got to most of the soils questions, but I know we didn't hit all the naturals questions. So anyway, go ahead. What you got? All right. This one comes from Scott. And he said, would the nitrogen fixing microbes that you talked about uh, or naturals, would they work better in lighter soil where we don't have all the organic matter? I have never seen any studies showing there that that is better in the lighter soil, so I don't know that to be true. But I would say this. In heavier soil, you are more likely to have a drainage issue. If you don't have your drainage addressed by having tile in the ground, by having adequate calcium out there and higher levels of organic matter, then it's very possible that you may end up killing some of the microbes or many of the microbes in the soil because you don't have enough air going through that soil. So if that was the case, then yes, by all means, the lighter soil would, would be better. But otherwise, no, I don't, I don't think there's a lot of difference. All right, Mike had a question. He said, guys, I'm using AgroLiquid's Micro 500 starter in furrow. I'm using two quarts to the acre. I'm wondering, would the copper and the zinc in there be in the right form, or would they be detrimental to some of these bio, uh, biologicals like Pivot Bio, for example? Yeah, we, hey, Mike, I'd, I'd, I'd throw ahead. one thing in there, too. We've done a lot of testing on this because we happen yep. to use that product, yep. too. And the sulfate forms of these nutrients seem to be a lot safer for the microbes. Now, that said, I would love it if we could put the, the nutrients in a two-by-two two and the naturals right in furrow and keep them apart. Uh, but at the minimum, I'd say put those in two different tanks so they don't come together until the very last minute as they go in the furrow. Yeah, but I know with the zinc the, the, that's in there, we haven't had any issue. The copper, that's a really good question. 
So I don't know that we've tested that exact fertilizer with the, the specific biological that he's mentioning. So yes, we would have a little bit of concern, but I, I, I can just tell you, we have tested agroliquid zinc compared to zinc chelate, zinc citrate, and ammoniated zinc. And the agroliquid stuff has actually given us the longest life for the, the microbes. And it's, it's been hardly detrimental at all, whereas many other forms of zinc, really bad. So I, I don't think I'm super worried, but to Darren's point, yeah, if we can keep them separate, then obviously we have no worry. All right, this one comes from Mark. He said, you mentioned a manure pit treatment called Intercept. And I'm curious, does this act as a nitrogen stabilizer? I'm in Minnesota. This is becoming a big deal. Hmm. I'm not sure it's on that It's kind of interesting. You know, when we, when we talk about products like that, this particular one, Intercept, has been shown to uh, keep more of that nitrogen and sulfur from uh, gassing off. Right. So it has reduced odor by by tying some of those nutrients up, and I know for some farmers they're they're hoping the manure is less dense or less nutrient concentrated because they can spread more gallons per acre. The problem when you're using something like Intercept, you can't spread quite as many gallons per acre. You do get a little better concentration of the nutrients. As far as what form that nitrogen's in, uh, I'm not certain of that, but I know we have less loss. So that's got to be a good thing. So, uh, well, we have less loss out of the pit, but yeah, that's where I don't know if it technically qualifies as a nitrogen stabilizer out in the field. I think you'd have better results, but I, I, I am not a hundred percent sure on that one. Yeah, an instinct would be a a more chemistry type product that that would do that for a manure application. yeah, lots of lots of questions around the naturals, no doubt about we get, that. We got time for uh, for another one. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, I think I've gotten through the naturals questions that we had. Um, as far as uh, others, we had a question about strip till, and just wondering how do we do the strip till? Are we putting all the nutrients on in the fall that way? Uh, which specific nutrients do we generally put on in the fall application with strip till? Well, any farmer can handle strip till however they want. Like on our farm, I'll just tell you how we do it and when we strip till. Yes, we put on all the P and the K. Now, as far as other nutrients, we have done micronutrients before, certainly, but we don't always do that. A lot of times we'll just, if we only need maintenance level of micronutrients, we'll put it on right with the planter. So, uh, if you want to go out with nitrogen, sulfur, and boron, keep in mind, all those are much more leachable than P and K. So that's where usually we end up saving those for the spring. We've done some stuff in the fall, but typically we're not putting those on with the strip-till machine on our farm. But there are a lot of people that 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 have, and you certainly can. We've done some nitrogen in the past, but uh, uh, at the moment, no, we're just doing P and K for the most part. All right, stay tuned. We're going to get to the phone lines right after this. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. 
This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. How can you make the most profit ever on your soybean crop? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answer to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Wednesday, January 25th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, fertility, cleaning up white mold, and more. If you want to make raising soybeans more lucrative and more fun, you won't want to miss this free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. Your crop deserves the best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proven performance in the formula you prefer. Champ Formula 2 Flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper. Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, New Farm has the copper solution you can win with. Put a Champ in your corner at newfarm.com slash uscrop. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. It's my favorite day of the week. It's Farmer Friday. If you'd like to call into the show, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. Again, that's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, agphd media, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, we're going to go out to the state of Indiana right now. We've got Joe calling in. Hey, Joe, how are you today? I'm fabulous today. That's uh a beautiful day to be inside at 33 degrees in southern indiana and snow flurries <laughs> yep uh not a whole lot different here although today's a sunny day but uh, a little, little chilly and lots of snow out there so what are you working on right now on your farm or what are you what are you thinking about as you go in as we go into 2023 here well we're uh, we're thinking about uh, getting all of our steel organized and ready and repainting tractor grills and and we're working in the office doing you know, fine-tuning our budgets for this year, trying to decide whether we're going to buy all our fertilizer now or wait a couple months for it to come down. God bless the Topa Death. <laughs> yeah, one of the problems, though, Joe, is that we've seen the fertilizer market follow the grain market for about the last 10 years. And uh, commodity prices were going up today. I, I, I kind of hope commodity prices keep going up, which could be bad news for that fertilizer price, but uh, but yeah, who knows on that. So let me just ask you real quick on, on your equipment that you're working on. Have you built a, a new shop on your farm here over the last few years, or have you had a shop that is big enough to handle your equipment? I've been talking to a lot of farmers this year like, man, I got to get a different shop because my equipment won't even fit into my old shop. Well, uh, the answer is we haven't built a new shop, but we did take the stack off the top of our uh, track tractor and, and <laughs> yep. cut it off so it would go in this one. And, uh, and, the, and, the, and the boy's been wearing himself out trying to make old, new stuff fit inside of old stuff. How about that? Yep. Yeah, we went through that for a lot of years ourselves, and then we ended up building a new shop. But uh, anyway, what what else in terms of, uh, I, I know you work with American Soybean Association and Indiana Soybean Alliance Board. What kind of stuff are you working on there? What are the biggest one or two things for our listeners that, that they need to know about what's going on right now? Well, 
important things are going on in the in the farm economy and that's and that's you know we want to we want to get the farm bill going and and there's listening sessions going on with our legislators and at the states and at the national level so that that's going to be a as a big push for 2020 is is getting lined up on that farm bill and protecting crop insurance and and uh, and also all this worrying about the waters of the U.S. rules that are coming out because uh, we don't want them uh, affecting our water puddles. No, I hear you. Uh, there are a lot of people certainly concerned about that. So do you think with that waters of the USA, does that have anything at all to do with the farm bill or is that something completely separate as we as we talk farm bill? I, I think I think they're two separate issues. But anytime you're talking agriculture, if you get the the bend the ear of your uh, of your local politician at the at the state and national level, you need to uh, you, you need to cover all your bases because you only get a few minutes to make a difference. Yep, absolutely, I agree with you. So let's come back to the farm bill thing and talking about crop insurance. What's your concern level for being able to keep crop insurance the way it is now, or or having any cuts as we move forward? Well, the the farm bill is a is a field to fork uh, bill, and and uh, actually the production agriculture side is awfully awfully small. So yep. any any time that the other the big side wants to uh, to make a cut, they look at our side because it's uh, it affects less people. So they're always wanting to cut our sub, the amount of, they subsidize crop insurance. And you and I know that the best way to protect our farm income is is with crop insurance and not. Uh, and 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 we have to keep it reasonable price so that we keep doing it to maybe avoid some of the ad hoc uh, programs that the USDA might have to uh, mess up their budgets with. Yeah. To keep us in business. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Rather than having disaster payments and all this kind of stuff, if we just have crop insurance, and uh, and pretty much every farmer has that out there, then at least we've got protection on our end, and from the government's perspective, they've got protection on their end as well. Yep. Well said. Well, again, we've been talking with Joe out in Indiana. Joe, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Keep up the good work. You bet. Thanks. All right. When we talk about um, any of these political issues. Again, like Joe said, I I think the important thing is just talk to your legislators. We're not a political show here on Ag PhD or anything else. We talk about agronomy and raising crops, but obviously that political side, things like the, the U.S. Farm Bill, they're pretty big issues that affect all of us. All right, we're going to go out to Wisconsin next. Got Troy calling in. Hey, Troy, how are you today? Good, Brian. Excellent. So what's happening in your farm right now? Uh, well, we're just wrapping up paperwork for 2022 and making plans for 2023. All right. So when we talk about those plans for 2023, anything new and different you're doing on your farm or is it going to look kind of like 2022 for you? Well, I've been really torn, uh, about doing some different things. The worst part is, is finding, uh, places to go with, the products of those different things. So for instance, I've looked into doing some non-GMO or some, you know, stuff like that, more, more niche markets, but the having somewhere to go with them without having an outrageous freight bill or, you know, making it somewhat easy on a smaller scale has been really tough because, 
you know, like there's some companies that want non-GMO beans, but then it's a buyer's call program. So you have to store them and then you have to store them separately from all the rest of your beans. And then it's, you have to deliver them in certain months. So then there's just more work involved with it. And it just, it makes it difficult to try and put a pencil to what it's going to cost you to produce that because there's a lot of unknowns. Yeah. So. No, I hear you. So why have you been thinking about like th- these different changes, specifically the non-GMO? Why, why have you been even considering that? So I guess the way I've been looking at it is, is one, you just mentioned it in your little break there. We have no idea what, what kind of political issues or geopolitical issues we're going to have. Right. So I've been experimenting with being able to produce a crop on fewer dollars mm-hmm. for fear that we're going to have really high interest rates and it's going to cost a lot to borrow money mm-hmm. or we're going to have to be uh, very localized with our markets. So if we don't have demand, we might not have a real decent price. So just basically kind of playing that devil's advocate with the idea of, well, what if happens, you know, if it actually happens and kind of try to have a little bit of an idea as to how I can produce something on fewer gross dollars, maybe sacrifice a little yield, but still be profitable uh, in the short term, at least. So. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I, I mean, nobody knows where this thing is going long term. Even like our last caller, Joe, was talking about, well, is the fertilizer price going to come down? So this is one of the things when we're putting all those dollars out there, we'll usually suggest to a farmer to at least consider, hey, you might want to at least be pre-selling. So, I mean, at least you, you get your costs covered on that side. But yeah, it's uh, it, it certainly can be a volatile market. So you're talking non-GMO. What, what what else were you looking at possibly changing besides that potential switch away from traits? Um, just different crops. So potentially some more fall or spring seeded cereals, whether it be, you know, rye or wheat or barley or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, just to kind of diversify and get get a little bit of experience under my belt with rather than just corn and soybeans and, and that line of thinking. So... Yeah, certainly can be some advantages to that. Even on our own farm, we've raised uh, a little more wheat in certain years when we wanted to get tiling done, so we wanted to have an early harvest, Uh, maybe in some cases break up the crop rotation for weeds or insects or diseases. I mean, yeah, there there certainly can be a lot of benefits out there. Well, hey, uh, Troy, we certainly wish you the best of luck as you consider all these different options on your farm for 2023 and beyond. Uh, Hopefully this year and every year turns out great for you, and Thanks a lot for calling in today. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. You bet. Well, today is Farmer Friday. If you've got a a question for us or anything you want to talk about that's happening on your farm right now, we'd love to visit with you. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. Again, that's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. So we've gotten a lot of questions in for the Ag PhD mailbag. I will we'll probably get some time here shortly to get to more of those questions. Thanks a lot for sending your questions in, and uh, hopefully we'll hit them yet today. Stay tuned. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. 
Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Palmer Amaranth. Four counts of yield theft, resistance to groups two, four, nine. You ain't got nothing on me, man. We've been surveilling you. And now we've got Tough 5EC, a tank mix partner that'll make sure you and your gang of resistant weeds never see the daylight again. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add Tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belsham Crop Protection. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Water Hemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, you're getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting a crop nutrition plan that maximizes your fertilizer applications from every drop, all while accounting for your management practices and the products you're already using. But it's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. What can you do to build a better wheat crop? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. Thursday, January 26th, we're holding a free Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll be discussing how you can make your wheat crop more profitable by going in-depth on topics such as crop protection programs, seed treatment options, and the ways to make your crop more resistant to stress like drought and disease. We'll be covering all of this and much more, so don't miss the Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop. Sign up today at agphd.com. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. We're going to get right back to the phone lines here. Got Jimmy calling in from down in North Carolina. Hey, Jimmy, Jimmy, what's happening today? Oh, we've been in meetings. We, uh, I'm a member of the Soybean Association, oh. so we had trade shows today and meetings, and um, we had our local, our state commodity meetings. So they're teaching us how to raise corn beans and soybeans, and we raised some uh cotton in north carolina and they has a wheat special speak to us so we've had two good days of education and uh, catching up on the latest newest adventures for our 2023 crop all right so i wasn't at your two days of meetings but give me the quick summary like maybe the top couple of things that you picked up where you go oh that's kind of interesting well uh, one thing i thought was pretty interesting on soybeans is cover crops we think about all the cover crops and they're doing some research in north carolina about cover crops and uh, soybean nematodes and definitely with the um t 
tillage riders, we saw some the data showing some real significant gains in reducing nematodes and increasing yields on soybeans. You know, we had been playing with cover crops over the years and looking at soil fertility and, uh, you know, soil structure, but we really hadn't put much thought into reducing nematodes. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And then, of course, they had a presentation on the corn about uh, some of these uh, root enhancements to fixate nitrogen from the air, and they had some pretty good data showing that if we had a reasonably good rainfall moisture that those technologies are seem to be pretty effective of course you know it, a lot of this stuff is new and we got more information to gather but it looked very promising and then in the wheat they was talking about uh different types of milling qualities whole milling whole wheat and how can we utilize that more efficiently in our marketing plans Nice. So the Soybean Association lined up all this stuff? The, um, the way we do ours, we have uh, four different commodities, and each year each um, one commodity leads host to meeting, which this year's was the corn host, but the Soybean Association had sponsored or uh, financed the data for the research on the uh, nematodes in the soybean production. So they didn't... They didn't orchestrate the meeting, but they did. Uh, we invested some of our checkoff monies in the research project, so I thought it was a pretty good investment of uh, resources. And, of course, these young people coming along with um, doing research projects, coming up with these ideas, I thought that was a pretty good thing outside the box, reducing nematodes with cover crops. Definitely. And that may be, uh, you know, that's kind of things I think that's going to keep us as the ag community productive in the future yeah we got to continue to learn and adapt because the the bugs the nematodes the weeds they seem to be adapting and getting around all the stuff <laughs> we're trying to manage so anyway we got to yeah. try to stay a step ahead of them so you mentioned uh, that you raise corn soybeans cotton wheat on your farm are you thinking of switching any acreages around a little bit this year or is it kind of going to be about the same as what you did last year Right now, with our costs, uh, you know, the fertility is our big crazy thing right now. And, the, you know, the way I view it, fertility is basically in North Carolina, our crops pretty much use the same amount of fertility. And we think it's some real advantages to staying in a consistent rotation. So, I mean, we may play with numbers a little bit. We have, uh, we're independent hog producers, so we mm-hmm. have to have a certain amount of corn to feed our hog operation every year so you know we definitely gonna make sure we got the acreage we need to produce our own farm corn and of course in north carolina you know if the I, my joke is that the choo-choo train don't show up we get rich and we always want to have some corn yep. sitting in the bin and the trucks fueled up in case we have some rail <laughs> issues that we can shoot some corn in there we we sold some corn about last spring ten dollars a bushel just because the train didn't show up yeah believe me jimmy i have paid attention to your markets over there and i have been a little jealous sometimes of the basis that you get because it seems to be positive most of the time whereas my basis is negative most of the time so anyway um hey jimmy it's been great talking to you today glad that uh, you had a couple good days of meetings and thanks a lot for calling in appreciate it all right thank you you bet all right we're heading down to the state of kansas now got shane on the line with us Hey, Shane, how are you today? 
Hey, I'm pretty good. How are you doing today? Excellent. So I thought it was kind of interesting. We talked to Jimmy, who was at these meetings that uh, the commodity groups put on. We talked to Joe earlier, who deals with the Soybean Association. And uh, sounds like you deal with uh, with sorghum and you and the sorghum checkoff, right? That is correct. I'm in my second term. Actually, I'm just starting my final year. Uh, we do uh, two, three-year terms, so... I'm actually on year six of being on the United Sorghum Checkoff Program Board, Board of Directors. So, nice. Yes, uh, we just we just had our meetings in December, and so we're we're ready for a new year. So we were talking today about some of the issues in corn and soybeans. How about for you on the sorghum side? What are the biggest things that your group is talking about right now? Well, uh, personally. Uh, on my farm and, and in the immediate area and spreading out, it's it's no secret that we're in a terrible drought. So yeah. for me right now, the biggest challenge, and, and on my farm, uh, all of my acres are, are non-irrigated. So yep. um, the, the impact of no rain right now, I mean, yeah, the, the inputs and the, and the pricing on fertilizers and that, they're bad too. They're high if you can get them. But the, the end the end problem is is no rain to make grain so hopefully this will be the third year we started coming off of our our crop average especially for sorghum uh two years ago so and then uh last year it was down this year was absolutely i, I mean a total loss uh we were down on our wheat uh yield by about a third maybe even more uh, maybe even closer to half overall average. So uh, we need to see some turnaround this year with rainfall, and, and I think we can make it happen. So it, you, you've been coming off of this drought. What what are your thoughts then in the spring? Is there anything different you do after a couple of years of drought? Uh, do you go toward or away from pre-emerge herbicides do you plant later or earlier i mean what 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 are you planning to do different this spring because of how the weather's been the last couple of years oh absolutely yeah you're, you're anymore we like to we like to forget about the way say the way grandpa used to do it yep. or the the date that grandpa used to plant that that has definitely moving away from that mark by a long shot um we just were uh, ordering up some chemicals. Uh, we're we're basically like Jimmy was saying. Uh, we're going to stay in our regular rotation. We run a a two out of three year rotation. So we plant this sorghum coming up here in uh, April, May. We'll plant that into last year's wheat stubble. Okay. So um, we're we're hoping that the springtime's going to break open and we're going to have some rain. Uh, like I said, we just got done with meetings. We have a huge advantage in sorghum right now uh, with our, our market development programs, our, our, uh, just the, as far as food usage, you know, as far as what it used to be used for compared to what it's uh, going to be used for. And a lot of that leans towards uh, human food consumption with sorghum, non-GMO and gluten-free. So if we can just get a little rain, we everything else seems to be lined up, but we're going to stay at it. We're going to stay in the same routine, the same rotation. But yes, as far as uh, uh, timing, uh, it, everything changes. And then another thing to add in is our wheat 
our wheat for this upcoming year, how much of it's going to die, how much of it is going to be uh, caused, you know, the freeze damage to it. Uh, there's a lot of factors that, yeah. yes, if we have failed wheat acres, we're going to we're going to be heavy on sorghum acres. Well, hey, Shane, we will we will certainly pray for some rain for you. Hopefully you'll get some here soon. We we had been in about two and a half years of drought ourselves. Doesn't sound like as severe as yours, but we just got dumped on with feet of snow here over the last month. So uh, there there is optimism oh. up here, and so hopefully you won't get yeah. a, a whole bunch of snow, but at least you'll get some rain. Hey, Shane, we got to run, but thanks a lot for calling well, in. Appreciate absolutely. it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Yep, you too. This is Mike. Hey. He's getting a quick haircut at the local barber school. It's only five bucks. How bad can it? Yikes. Don't be like Mike when it comes to weed control. Get the job done right the first time and plan ahead with Status Herbicide. It delivers elite corn safety and reliable performance, so you don't have to deal with more problems than you bargained for. No, 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 no. Status Herbicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. How can you make the most profit ever on your soybean crop? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answer to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Wednesday, January 25th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, fertility, cleaning up white mold, and more. If you want to make raising soybeans more lucrative and more fun, you won't want to miss this free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient Flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Commodity Classic has everything you need to take your farming operation to the next level. Nationally known thought leaders, a huge trade show with the latest ag innovations, outstanding education that will help you prepare for the next generation of farming, and networking with thousands of farmers from across the nation and beyond. Join us in Orlando March 9th through 11th, 2023. Learn more at commodityclassic.com. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us.
You're listening to Ag PhD Radio here on a Farmer Friday. I'm Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today just uh, answering some questions here now in the Ag PhD mailbag uh, and reading some comments as well. So we got this in from Mark. He said, on my farm with auto steer and GPS, you guys had been talking about that before, uh, we found there's no more yield. But we've, got, we've had lots of product savings, like with the spray and with the nitrogen, way more savings than I thought. My only regret is I didn't do it years ago. Next one here is from Tom. He says, they're doing a lot with short season varieties now for those of us who rely on cover crops and cattle grazing and need the extra time. Uh, so, yeah, we had been talking about uh, uh, maturity in corn and soybeans, and that's where he sent this comment in. And, yeah, I agree with you there, Tom. I, I mean, when you need a short season variety... I'll be honest, I didn't think the varieties that we had 20 years ago were, were real good. But now we see a lot of stuff raised up in northern North Dakota even, or northern Minnesota, and up in southern Canada. And we go, wow, I mean, a lot of these varieties are they're outstanding. Some of the yields guys are pulling off is tremendous. Uh, and so, Darren, I'll, I'll get you on here. And I, I was just going to say, you often comment on how we talk about moldboard versus no-till, you know, all these different tillage systems. And we just talk through stuff a little bit. I don't, we quite, quite frankly don't really care if a farmer goes no-till, strip-till, conventional till, moldboard plows, whatever. A lot of people do different things. Well, anyway, uh, Stanley says here, you guys obviously don't grow vegetables. So, I don't know what that means exactly toward any type of tillage or anything. That was a comment along the lines of tillage. So, what 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 do you think no he means idea. there by vegetables? Yeah, I have no, I have no idea at all. But I got I got a few more questions that had come in that we hadn't got to during our workshops. If I could do those, oh. that'd be okay. Go ahead. That'd be great. Okay, so Kathleen asked the question, and we were talking about soil fertility. And she said, will that high level of potassium that you guys would like to see on soil tests, will that cause milk fever in dairy? And Kathleen, I, I don't know that answer, but I, I always thought that milk fever was a lack of calcium. And when we're thinking about putting on higher levels of potassium, it's not at the expense of calcium. Right. We still want calcium to be in an optimum level. Sometimes we see too much calcium in soils and it becomes unavailable and it gets tied up and that we don't want that we want to be in an ideal range on all these nutrients and when we balance that out that's when we get the best animal health as well uh, douglas had a nitrogen question and douglas asked okay guys what are your thoughts on using the economic optimum return for nitrogen calculators and rates in other words adjusting your nitrogen rate based on the cost of nitrogen fertilizer and the potential return on investment. Well, I don't really have a big problem with that, but let's keep in mind that nitrogen, even though, yes, it's expensive today, it's not as expensive as it was a year ago, and we still have high commodity prices. So you don't want to sacrifice yield. A lot of people talk about yield as, as really a big driver, whether it's for crop insurance, government um, it, programs, um, and and just even for bragging rights, people like to have uh, ha have yield there. But everybody's got to manage their farm how they see fit. And we are huge believers in, yeah, we want you to have more yield, but you got to have more profit too. And at the same time, 
continue to make your land better. So we're trying to factor all those things in when we look at that. The challenge is this. In any field that there is, usually, we see a lot of variance in yield. So when you're talking about optimizing all this, as long as you're optimizing it, varying the rate through the field, we're probably on board with that. But if we're optimizing it as one rate for the entire field, that's where it's going to be a little more problematic for us because where you put too much nitrogen on, you can actually strip calcium out of the soil, lowering your pH and hurting your yield. And if you don't have enough nitrogen on, then obviously you're losing yield there. And all the other things you had invested in don't turn out as well because you lacked that one thing. So, yes, we're, yeah, we're, we're fine. The challenge, too, Douglas, is you've got to put the nutrients out before you know what your yield is going to be. Yep. And so that's a real challenge. So we want to put out a rate that historically, on average, is going to give us the yields that we're, we're shooting for. And then the other challenge with that is how do you know your return on investment when you haven't sold the grain yet? So you don't know for sure you're going to get 200 bushel corn, just for an example. You also don't know for sure you're going to get $6 a bushel. And so unless you know those things, all you know up front is the input cost. You really don't know the return on investment. You're really guessing based on long-term averages. So it is a challenge. It's not easy doing this, that's for sure. Hey, um, as long as we're talking about nitrogen, Joe had a, a question for us, and actually he sent it in kind of three different forms. He said... Do you have any fall uh, anhydrous recommendations, one? And he said, I was thinking about basing it off soil organic matter, basically the higher organic matter, the lower the anhydrous and vice versa. And then finally he says, we had been using granular that Corteva had, but they've dropped their nitrogen stuff. So I was thinking about basing my variable rate prescription off of uh, soil organic matter. So Anyway, he also, to finish up, said your soils class uh, earlier this week was really interesting. So, Joel, thanks for that. We appreciate that. But, yeah, with with anhydrous, we're always going to base our nitrogen off of, well, what do we expect for yield? So, I I mean, when you look at soil organic matter, we're going to take yield and then we're going to subtract off what we think we have out, well, what we know we have out there already off our soil test. And then we're also going to subtract off what we think is going to come available through soil organic matter. So we're not necessarily going to lower our nitrogen amount in a high organic matter area versus a low because maybe our yield goal is that much higher in that high organic matter area. So you got to kind of look at all that stuff. And then don't forget too, there certainly is a potential for loss all the time. So you have less potential for loss if you vary that rate and if you apply it at the right time. So if you're in an area that gets a lot of rainfall, we don't want to necessarily put all the nitrogen out there up front. You might want to split apply or something like that. Darren, do you have any more comments on that? No, no. I think that's you, certainly organic matter is one of those things that you factor in because we're going to get some free release from that organic matter mineralization each year of nitrogen. Uh, but it's, it's definitely not the only factor that we're going to look at building nitrogen wrecks. Um, Joe's got a question. Joe from Wisconsin here has a question. He said, we've created yield zones throughout our fields from seven years of yield history. So philosophically, are you using those yield goals to target rates or to use them to build values to make those zones higher? So, for example, if we've got a low yielding area, am I trying to build up the nutrients there? 
to get it into a higher category or am I using lower rates because I have lower yield and don't need as much fertilizer? Well, I don't I don't think that there is one answer for this. What I mean by that is I'm going to look at it a little bit differently maybe than Darren and certainly than other farmers out there. So if you want to treat it as, hey, I just this is a low yielding area, I'm just going to assume it's going to remain in a low yielding area, fine. My attitude always is, what else can I do? How else can I maximize yield out here? And so I'm going to look at the soil test. I, I, I'll i be honest too. I don't look all that much at history. I don't look at historical soil tests that much, at historical yields all that much. I, I And don't get me wrong, I look at it a little bit, but I don't spend a whole lot of time focused on that. I'm focused on the future. And the first thing that I'm going to look at is always drainage. As long as I have my drainage good, then I'm going to say, okay, I want to build stuff up and I have certain levels, my goals to where, where I'd like to go. So we talked about those at our soils clinics earlier this week, what my goals are, what Darren's goals are for his soils and things like that. And that's basically what I'm shooting for. And anymore, I mean, we farm a lot of acres now. And so if, let's say I pick up a new 40 acre field. I mean, just literally in one shot, we'll take care of the tile. We'll put all the fertility out. We'll do everything. So everything is built up. But that's also not necessarily the way everyone has to do it. You can certainly build slowly over time or handle things however you want to. So this is really uh, a it's everybody's personal opinion on how they feel they can maximize profitability. But like we said earlier in the show, we're not just focused on profitability. We're focused on yield and on making the soil better. So that's kind of where we stand, or at least where I stand on all that. So anyway, I'll uh, I'll give Darren a chance to answer that one if he wants right after this break. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Cold weather draining your batteries? Nothing delivers peace of mind like a quality battery charger from CNB. Going on now? Buy three batteries and get the charger on sale. Learn more or shop online at DeerEquipment.com. CNB, your local John Deere dealer of choice. Offer runs until May 2023. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. When you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. So call Farm Shop MFG today at 712-520-6051. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. What can you do to build a better wheat crop? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. Thursday, January 26th, we're holding a free Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll be discussing how you can make your wheat crop more profitable by going in-depth on topics such as crop protection programs, seed treatment options, and the ways to make your crop more resistant to stress like drought and disease. We'll be covering all of this and much more, so don't miss the Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop. Sign up today at agphd.com. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. 
It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact eMERGE planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. It's Farmer Friday. This is Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio and we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag. So Darren, did you have any other comments on uh, on that last question that we had there in terms of building the soil or not building the soil, depending on if you've got high or low levels of yield out in the field? Yeah, it makes a difference if you own the ground or if you're renting. And if you are renting, if you have a long-term deal. And yep. Certainly, if you've got a long-term deal where, say, you're farming it for five years, ten years, whatever, uh, then then that's a whole different thing, and you can afford to make some of those investments. But even if you're renting short-term and you identify yield-limiting factors like poor drainage or exceptionally low potassium or whatever the case may be, you can certainly talk to your landlord and say, hey, here's a problem. I'm pretty sure I can improve it. I was just talking to somebody at our soils clinic this week, and he said, I'm a land owner, and I'm renting the ground out, and I improved drainage on the farm, and I dramatically increased the rental rate, and my tenant right away was like, hey, uh, why is my rate so much higher? And he said, because I pattern tiled the field. And he said, we literally went from 140 bushel corn to 200 bushel corn in a year, and he said the, the tenant commented how much more fun it was farming that ground, much like you always say, Brian, how much more fun it is when they, they said, man, we were in there early, we never had any issues, and we had lots more yield, and that, that was pretty fantastic. I, I agree with you. It does matter if you rent or own. But just in the last two days, I've talked to two different landlords, and one, not of ours, but I'm, I'm saying landowners, and the one guy said, I pick my renters because I want to make sure it's somebody that takes care of the ground. And the other guy said, yeah, we actually are charging our renter a little bit less than what we think the going rate is because we want to make sure that we're not falling behind on fertility. And I mean, the farmer's got to make something too. Well, we don't want fertility to be the cut. So we've got to continue to make our ground better in the long term. So I thought that was for for both of them. I, I'm glad they're thinking about that. And so if you are a landlord, this is something to think about because as farmers, we got to try to make money, well, you don't want to have your soil getting depleted or anything like that. But a lot of times when we buy ground that was rented for years and years, uh, we find that there's almost no fertility out there. Well, that's not real great for the ground. So anyway, just throwing it out. Darren, do you have any more questions? Uh, yes, I have a bunch more. Uh, this one comes from Drew, and Drew says, I'm, I'm in northwest Iowa. I have manure that I'm applying every year. And my soil tests show single-digit parts per million on manganese. 
Now, you told the story about a grower that got a 40 to 50 bushel yield bump by yep. applying manganese. Just yep. curious what form of manganese and how did they apply that? Manganese, sulfate, uh, well, broadcast, and tilled in. But the the thing is, for, let's keep in mind, we want to make sure we're not just talking DTPA tests. I'd also just uh, get it retested, just run a manganese test with a Malik 3. Let's find out if we truly are low on manganese or if it's just the, the interrelation between soil pH. All right, this one comes from Dustin, and if you want to jot this down, Brian, here's a few numbers that he's going to give. Uh, Dustin says, I've got a field that has a 7.5 pH, 7.5. It's very heavy ground. The CEC is 36. My calcium is only about 50%. My magnesium is 42%. My potassium is 3%. Sodium, 2%. And hydrogen is obviously non-existent here in a high pH soil. Yep. My question is, uh, I need to raise my calcium, obviously, and I need to lower my magnesium and even sodium. How do I go about doing that? Okay, so first of all, I, well, yes, we would agree with you. Long term, it will probably be nice if you have higher levels of calcium percentage-wise and lower magnesium. Your soil won't be as tight and as poorly drained. And nutrients you will find will come more available, things like even the potassium in your soil. The potassium right now, I'll bet you if you do plant tissue analysis, you're going to find you're deficient, even though you probably have a lot of parts per million. So I agree with all that. However, I would just say in a really tight, heavy soil like that, if you don't own the ground, here's my solution. I'm just going to go band all my nutrients and not even worry about it. If you do own the ground, and we have owned similar ground to this, step one, tile. Step two, we fix every other nutrient in that field. So phosphorus, sulfur, zinc, boron, all the other stuff. And then we, we focus on the calcium-magnesium thing, and we're probably going to end up putting some gypsum out there at some point because we want to get more calcium, and we want to try to flush some of the magnesium out by combining the magnesium with the sulfate, and that will form Epsom salts. It's a salt, and salts are leachable. Just like with the sodium out there, if we get more sulfate out there, we can turn that sodium that doesn't move in the soil much into sodium sulfate, which is a salt that leaches out. So over time, that's probably what we would do if we owned the ground. But yeah, we're going to handle it completely differently if we own it versus if we're renting. Thanks for the question. This one comes from Paul in southeast Washington state. And Paul says, my soil pH is really low. It's four and a half to five and a half. My CECs are around 15 up to 25. We've been using MAP with a pH of 4.5 in furrow for our starter in winter wheat. Would switching to DAP, which has a much higher pH, 7.5, would that move the needle at all with nope. respect to raising pH in my seed zone? No. Uh, I mean, it's going to be so minor. If you want to try it, go ahead. Do I think it's going to be a big deal? No, I really do not. Okay, got a peat soil question. This is from John over in Minnesota. We farm about 40 acres of peat ground. The organic matter reads in the low 40s to low 50s. Cation exchange capacity 25 to 35. pH pretty consistently low fives in the 5.1 to 5.4 range with a buffer pH of 6 to 6.2. Now I've been told that lime 
would be virtually useless in this situation. Just kind of your thoughts here about fixing a peat soil. No, lime's not going to be completely worthless. So the couple of things, well, three things we're looking at here. Your cation exchange capacity is 25 to 35, so it's pretty heavy ground. Obviously, that organic matter being so ridiculously high, it's going to tie up a lot of things you throw out there, which is why your buffer pH is so low, 6 to 6.2. What that's telling us is that it's going to take a lot of lime to get that pH up to maybe where you want. However, if you get any lime out there, that's most likely going to help because your pH is quite low at 5.1 to 5.4. So I would still do it, but like we always say here on Ag PhD, um, let's let's try things out. Let's experiment a little bit. So maybe try a few strips in the field or half a field or something like that and just see what you see. But I, I would still go for it. If it's me, I would put some lime out there because we have seen the benefits of lime on our own farm in similar pHs. We get that pH up, even getting it up close to six, you're most likely going to get more yield, especially with corn, but with a lot of other crops too. And that is the end of the questions that we had from our workshop. So if you did send in a question during our workshops this week and we didn't get it and you were on the workshop, I should say, if you emailed radio at agphd.com, uh, we still have a few of those to get to. But uh, if, if we missed your question, just go ahead and resend it. We had so many come in. I think we got to all of them. Okay. Um, I got, well, I have, I have lots and lots here as well. So anyway, this one comes from Marion in Nebraska and asks, is there an environmental aspect such as temperature, time of day? Because if having your fungicide applied by plane, you have little control as to when they will show up. So, Marion, um, we haven't done. We did, we did talk. We did Go talk ahead. about that one at the workshop, Brian. That, he okay, also I didn't remember. To us, and it, this is one oh. thing that's a real big deal. And as we were talking about naturals this week, uh, it also plays in with some of the chemistry that we use too. Time of day, temperature, those types of things make a big difference in how receptive plants are to taking in material. Now, I don't know with fungicide necessarily as much as Yeah, we do. Wait, this is one of the things where one of the sugar beet plants had done some research work on that with sugar beets, and we believe that would probably work with some other crops too. So that's why we've been saying spring in the mornings, a lot of times that's where we're getting the, the most effectiveness. But to your point, it could vary depending on the weather that particular day. So in other words, let's say that we had a cooler day. Let's say the day was 75 degrees consistently all day. Maybe it doesn't make quite as much difference. But yes, I mean, that's always going to be the fear when you have somebody custom applying your stuff as opposed to you doing it yourself when you're in control. Well, we hope you've enjoyed our show today. Just want to thank uh, Mark and Michelle. They were working on uh, producing the show for us today with Alex and Janelle out of the office. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.